Hey, it's Todd Lebo month at Basecamp Fitness. Any new member will receive $50 off their first month if they mention I sent you. So call or text Basecamp Fitness at 913-232-9770 or go to Basecamp Fitness OP to learn more. Pack your bags, start the car, and get on the road. It's time to go across the country two minutes at a time for the biggest stories of the day where they're happening. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Indianapolis, Indiana. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Cleveland, Ohio. Austin, Mass. Miami, Florida. It's the two-minute drill on the program. Second half of the program begins right now. You know, we call it the two-minute drill around the country. Talking to people covering the stories and where they're happening. It's brought to you by Twin Peaks. That's right at Twin Peaks. You can check out all the TVs. They're everywhere, as a matter of fact. Did you know that? TVs everywhere. Uh, you can uh, check out uh, some 29-degree draft beer. That's right. Uh, Made-from-scratch menu. Uh, most scenic views anywhere in town. Uh, if you are a, a fish eater on Fridays, like me and my family, you can grab the beer-battered fish and chips for a, a light and a fresh fare. Uh, never skip it on the flavor. Uh, beer-battered cod served with house-made tartar, malt vinegar, and French fries. Uh, you can uh, put that together with a uh, nice 29-degree uh, draft beer. Uh, they've got that special going. Uh, it's just 12 bucks uh, every Friday through Easter. Uh, you can go on down, or you can and uh, knock it down to 10 bucks and grab it with a soda or a tea. Come on, if you're looking for a great lunch on Friday, a great dinner on Friday, and you're observing to uh, not eat meat, Twin Peaks has got you covered. Go to TwinPeaksRestaurant.com to find the location nearest you. See all the specials in Independence, Olathe, and in the Northland at the Boardwalk Shops. It's Twin Peaks, TwinPeaksRestaurant.com. Let's get things started in the Bay Area, San Francisco, California. Roxy Bernstein, 95.7 The Game, ESPN, ESPN Radio. Pac-12 Network, uh, CBS Nightly News anchor, uh, president of uh, General Motors. Uh, he does it all. Roxy, how are you? I'm great, sir. And how are you? Uh, very good. How are Niner fans? Have they recovered from losing for the second no. time in four years to the Chiefs? Or five years? Four years? Five years? Five years? I think this one is going to sting for a while, to be honest with you. Um Maybe even more so than the first time the Niners lost the Chiefs in the Super Bowl because just the way this one played out. And if you gauge, there was a real disconnect between Kyle Shanahan and Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator. As we know, he's been let go by the 49ers. But the way this one went down in Vegas, and I think this one's going to sting for a while. And this is going to be one that's going to be tough for 49er fans to get over. Well, I, I do think it was impressive. You know, uh, Kyle Shanahan screws up the overtime, and you know, they didn't wait long. <laughs> they made Steve Wilkes pay for it. That was impressive. Uh, where's that go? How do they get to that conclusion? Well, this has been something that's been brewing. This is not just a spur-of-the-moment decision that, okay, well, we have to make a change now. Let's, let's get rid of the defensive coordinator. This had been something that had been brewing all season. It just never... Seren seemed like a good fit from the start that the scheme didn't necessarily fit the way Steve Wilkes likes to run his defense and Kyle Shanahan was pretty adamant that this is the style of defense he wanted to play and you could see as the season progressed they were not good against the run even though the numbers will tell you per game they were good against the run but look at the average yards per carry that they gave up I don't think we ever really saw the defensive line come together, and there's a lot of money invested in that group. And I thought they played great in the Super Bowl. That was their best performance of the year, Seren, in the Super Bowl. But it just is a disconnect between the two. 
the uh, you know the numbers were better this year than they were last year uh, with, with Demeco Ryan's. I mean, they were better at points allowed. They were you know like I guess what 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 weren't they doing on defense? It, that there wasn't the effectiveness of getting to the quarterback consistently. I think that's where it started, and it just from the linebacker perspective. From the secondary perspective, it just never seemed that everybody was on the same page. Okay. And then if you look at the first two playoff games, and the way you know they won against Green Bay and Detroit, the defense really struggled in those games. Now they made plays in the second half when they had to, but they were giving up big chunks. They were getting gashed, and I think that really resonated with them. Okay, uh, tell me what's the uh, reaction to Kyle Shanahan and his team not knowing the overtime rules? I think that the story is being a little bit overblown, to be honest with you. From, look, Kyle Shanahan knew the rules. And Kyle Shanahan, as the head coach, that dictated the way he decided to take the ball first in overtime. That the players didn't know the rule. Look, we know how prepared the, the, the Chiefs were, and Andy Reid had his team well schooled. Okay, if it gets to overtime, this is what's going to happen. But for the 49ers... I think it's being overblown because they still had to go out and make plays. They knew they had to win the game. They knew the offense needed to go down and score a touchdown. They didn't. They got the field goal. So I think that the story is being a little bit overblown. Now, is it a blunder? Okay. But I don't think it's as significant as people want to make that out to be. I don't know. Evan Washburn's interview in between the podium and the end of the game, uh, he says, I wish we could have scored a touchdown and kept Patrick Mahomes from getting the ball. It certainly didn't seem like it. He had a different story when he got up to the podium, but it it really didn't sound like he had any idea about it when he was there. So uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, The 49ers are already well over the cap for uh, this next year. Uh, Who's going to be gone? What do they do? How do they make it all work? Well, they're going to have to make some tough decisions. And a guy that's an interesting one is going to be Debo Samuel. Let's see what the Niners do long-term with him because he's commanding a lot of money. I think that's somebody to keep an eye on for the Niners going forward. Could he be a part of everything? They're going to get some cap relief with Dre Greenlaw being on the injured list probably for all season next year after that freak Achilles injury that really, I think, handcuffed the 49ers in the game against the Chiefs. But those are... Two people to keep an eye on where they can get some relief, but there's some tough decisions to be made. Um, they have a lot of money invested in a lot of their star players. Luckily, Brock Purdy's not due for a pay raise for a little while still, but they're going to have some tough decisions to make. John Lynch is really going to have to try to massage the cap here as much as possible. All right, uh, tell me uh, the A's coming back. Uh, to the city of Oakland and trying to negotiate an extension on their lease. How does this play out? Because in Vegas, they're still not real peachy and still definitely don't have a plan on how to build a stadium for Vegas. Is this the beginning of maybe there being an about-face in the A staying in California? Sorrent, I think anything is possible. As I've told you before, until a shovel's in the ground, I'm not going to believe it's a done deal. Now, do I think they're most likely headed to Las Vegas? I still do. But there's significant hurdles that have to be made in Vegas. And now Oakland's trying to play hardball, and the A's are in a tough spot because they need some place to play beyond the 2024 season. And right now they don't have a place to play. And even if they're moving to Vegas, the ballpark at their earliest is going to open in 2028. So that leaves three seasons. They need to figure out what to play. 
The A's came back to the negotiating table with the city of Oakland this week about maybe extending the lease to play at the Coliseum those three years. But the owner, or the, the mayor of Oakland is playing hardball with not just the A's, but Major League Baseball saying, all right, if we do this, well, we want the rights to an expansion team and we want to keep the name athletics. Those are some of the things that are going on right now as the A's came limping back to the table to have discussions about trying to figure out where they're going to play for those three years. But until shovels in the ground, I think anything is still in play for the A's. Roxy Bernstein in San Francisco. Great stuff. We always appreciate the time, my friend. Have yourself a great weekend. Talk soon, Seren. Take care. Jake Query, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis, Indiana. Jake, how are you, sir? You know, I am well. It is All-Star Weekend here in Indianapolis, and we just had literally like a pop-up blizzard storm that kind of shut down Indianapolis. But let me simply begin by saying this. Uh, this is a city that is very similar in the people, the culture, and the values of Kansas City, and certainly it is not lost on the people here of Indianapolis. The heartfelt sympathies for everybody that was affected by what happened in KC and celebrating your great Super Bowl win. So uh, heartfelt condolences from Indianapolis. Yeah, thank you very much, Jake. That means a lot, and, and we do see a lot of similarities. We root for the other small market teams out there uh, in the big leagues, and uh, Indianapolis is one of them, so that does mean a lot. There's a lot of similarities between our two cities, so thank you. And, you know, you're getting ready to host a party, uh, the All-Star Game. Uh, you know, Indianapolis, pretty good at it. They do Final Fours. They've done, I think you've done a Super Bowl, right? I think, yeah, you did a Super Bowl. Correct. I covered a yep. Super Bowl. Uh, is this just easy because of all the practice you've got with those events? Yeah, I think Indianapolis prides itself certainly in the proximity with our downtown of everything being walking distance to knowing how to put on these events between the largest single-day spectator sport in the world every year with the 500 and then, as you mentioned, Final Four Super Bowls. But, you know, it's been since 1985, the only other time this event has been in this town. So there's certainly a buzz. There's certainly uh, certainly an electricity and now a gridlock traffic jam because of the fact that snow just fell. But Certainly, uh, definitely looking forward to it. I think the people of India are excited about it. Yeah. Uh, are they excited about the Pacers? They were playing great. They make the trade for Pascal Siakam. They're 7-8. and eight. Listen, I always think there's a step back. You, you think, oh, we put new town on the field or on the court. We're going to be even better. No, usually you got to figure out the chemistry. I think they'll be fine, and I think they'll get going. Or am I wrong? Is there something functionally wrong with the addition of Siakam where this isn't going to mesh? No, it's hard to say because, quite truthfully, they haven't been totally healthy since Siakam has joined the fray. But there's no doubt that their calling card was really their ball movement and the fluidity of their offense. And that has slowed since Siakam joined. Now, conventional wisdom would say that's just because they're still all feeling one another out. Look, this is a franchise that has seen the second half of the season be a disappointment for them. It's also a franchise that has seen seasons where everything came together once the weather turned and things started to, to look better in the spring. I think it's probably the latter for this group. They're very young. Tyrese Halliburton is definitely the magnet for them, and I think Siakam enjoys playing here. So I think the chemistry will work itself out, and they've got a pretty good one-two combo. Yeah, all right. Um, I, I do. I think having those two, that's a heck of a start on a, on a team that should be very, very good. Speaking of very, very good, Purdue, are they uh, primed to repeat what Virginia did, lose to a 16 one year and then win the national championship the next year? They look awfully strong. They do, and I'll tell you what they have done that they were not doing a year ago, and that is that they have figured out how to win games where Zach Eady was not dominant. Now, it's hard to say, you know, a 24-8 point game is not dominant, but 
they he was so ball dominant a year ago. I think there were guys that kind of stood and watched. And this year in games where he has not been in flow, they have had other guys, Mason Gillis, Caleb First, Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer. They got a lot of them that all are willing and capable to step up and kind of carry them until Edie gets back going again. That's the difference from a year ago. Certainly they still have, if they get a team that has really long wings and can collapse out on their shooters on the outside, it could give them some fits. But I would think that they are poised, barring a major upset, to at the very least get into deep the second weekend of the tournament. Yeah, that should happen. If it's anything but a Final Four, it'll be a disaster, right? I would agree with that. I think that's the sentiment from a lot of people is Painter's got to get to the Final Four. Anything shy of that would be seen certainly as a disappointment. Yeah. All right. We'll see where they go, uh, how far they get. Uh, Jake Query in Indianapolis. Uh, enjoy that snow, my friend. Enjoy the All-Star game. All right. Thanks. Always a pleasure. I'm the train the city of New Orleans. Gus Kettengill, ESPN New Orleans 100.3 in New Orleans, Louisiana. Gus, how are you, sir? Doing well, man. Good afternoon to you. How are you? Uh, very good. Very good. Clint Kubiak coming in, 49ers passing game coordinator, now the OC for the New Orleans Saints. I assume this is uh, met with uh, praise? Yeah, I mean, basically, you and I could have been named OC, and it would have been better than how people felt about B. Carmichael over here. Fair or not fair. Um, so, yeah, look, obviously, when you started seeing the different people that they were bringing in for hires, you had... Um, you had you know, Shanahan tree, McVay tree, anything that those two teams obviously have been doing as of late is something that I think Saints fans really, really were, were hoping for. You know, and, and that's what you kept hearing around here all the time. Innovative, you know, trying to do different aspects and, and just use some of the players that you can use the, to the best of the ability. So, yeah, I, there's a lot of positives, I guess, news or, I guess, feeling from – the QBAC hire. Yeah, uh, it, it's it, it should give them a surprise. But do they finally are they out of the cap hell, or have they just pushed it off again and they're again not going to be able to do much in the uh, free agency? Yeah, man. I mean, look, I, it, it's an interesting thing with with the, with the fan base because obviously the way they do it is what you just said. You're kicking it down a can. At some point in time, it's going to hinder affect you they kind of approach it and look at it as well if the salary cap overall keeps going up then you can still get under it and you can still get players you can still sign players they're 80 million over the cap so you got to make moves to get under the cap can you do it sure gene grab about 11 to 13 players and you know we structure this stuff to signing bonuses to showing up and working out bonuses and all those different things great but that's different than, say, a team like the Commanders that have $80 million in cap space already before they restructure stuff. So I think it's a big difference from, say, look, I'm not saying he would leave, obviously, but let's say, like, you got a guy like Chris Jones or somebody that is at the top of their position. You can't – it's a difference if you had that money to go spend and not. And Derek Carr's contract looks like it's going to be restructured. So – you probably could have a new quarterback here, and his contract you're still going to have to pay for in 26 and 27. So it's, you know, look, that's what, as long as Mickey Loomis is here, that's what they're going to do. 
Yeah, uh, that, that is just their approach. I guess that's what they'll do. Uh, Trey Holly arrested on murder charge, LSU running back. Uh, his attorney says, looking forward to proving he's he's not guilty of this. So, uh, you know, how and, and throw in, you've got a uh, word that Keishon Booty's got betting allegations against him. I mean, where is the LSU program? Is it this far off the tracks? I would say, honestly, uh, look, a couple years back, you had a string of incidences, you know, when when Uncle S was here and, you know, you had Perry Lou and you had a bunch of, you know, even back to when the Honey Badger was here where players were involved in, in drugs and weed and bar fights and, you know, you know uh, parking lot brawls, all that. I don't get that sense and feel here. I would say, to me, it's more of a isolated thing, if that makes any sense. I think it's more of a one or two people making a decision or two that's bad here. The Butte thing, dude, that's that guy. I mean, he blew opportunities here. I don't think that that's the thing that you see throughout the receiving core, throughout the team. Like, you didn't see that with Jaden Daniels and others. So I would just say it's, you know, you have enough players, you have enough people, you have enough money, you have enough opportunity thrown around. Somebody's going to make a misstep. And I, I would probably say it's more that than, it, than there's a culture or a program issue, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Um, you know, I, listen, the, the whole idea of, like, oh, we're stunned somebody under 21 was betting. Oh, oh wow. You know, you can do it on your phone, which I'm all for, by the way. Right. You advertise yeah. it everywhere. Like, this is going on all over the place. Like, th- this to me is kind of piling on on LSU, right? Like, is, you know, wh- where are they with the current coach? I mean, are we still on board that, uh, you know, he's the guy, or are people already starting to question? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, and look, I mean, literally, you have the, you know, network and stuff that. That has, I think, the rights for the SEC and the the, the national title game in the playoffs. They, they just started their own betting service. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy when you think about it, isn't it? Oh, it's it's completely crazy. It's completely crazy. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, real quick the uh, the Pelicans. Uh, are we okay with them being the sixth seed right now? Or are they underachieving what their expectations were? Yeah, uh, interesting question. I would say I'm okay in this aspect, right? You're 11 games above 500. Last time you were 11 games above 500, the 2008-2009 season. You absolutely have left six to seven games on the table this year because you didn't close out. You just got done your 30th game of having C.J. McCollum, Zion Williamson, and Brandon Ingram playing together. They started the season in three years um, playing 11. <laughs> so you, you pretty much have played half a basketball season almost this season with them there. You've avoided the dreaded big injury bug to one of those three players. Brandon Ingram, to me, is having his best basketball season as a pro, all-around game, uh, in dishes, three-point shots, defensive. You're starting to see Zion by his account. He's now at the 93 percentile of how he feels in terms of um, of health. And you can see him kind of starting to look a little closer to how he looked, man, um, towards the end of that calendar year when he was playing, I thought, at an MVP level before he suffered the hamstring injury that sidelined him for the season. So when I, when I see all of that I, and you're six. I, 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 you have to be happy. 27 left. 15 of those 27 are at home. 
you can make some noise, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, before those final 11 games, man, you pull up that schedule in the final 11. It's brutal. It's tough. A long road trip and then a home trip that um, – that you're, you're basically playing teams are going to be in around you in the standing. So it should be exciting. But, yeah, I think at this break this time, as opposed to last year, you would absolutely take it. How does Zion Williamson average less than five rebounds a game? That's a question that I wish I could answer you because I I have no desire. I mean, it's the only thing I could I could tell you. If he wants to, if he wants to, we can go do it. I mean, there's no reason that guy shouldn't be a double-double every night. Ever. Ever and here, you know what? Can, can I add another question? Yeah, because I keep asking it. Um, why doesn't he dunk? <laughs> you might see the only two dunk highlights. Like if you ever see a Pell's highlight and they show Zion dunking, I'm going to promise you it might be the only dunk in the game. The amount of layups that he misses or leaves at the rim or doesn't finish is astounding to me. Like he purposely will go to lay something up when there's no one in front of him when he could just dunk it. I don't know why when you have a Jordan Brand shoe, you don't dunk. I can't explain it. <laughs> I it's, can't explain. Like, it, will, it drives me nuts. It, it drives me nuts. Uh, trust me, we watched a little bit of that with Andrew Wiggins when he was at Kansas. Like, he kept waiting for him to unleash the fury, and it and it never seemed to come. We'll do it. it, it, it's, yeah. it you know, it's why I bring up, are we happy with a six seed? Because you've waited so long, you've sat, you've been patient, you've paid him, even when he's not playing. Right. And then the payoff is yeah. a six seed? Like, you're, you're, you're looking at well, like maybe being in the play in. This is the payoff? This is what it was no. like? I, not the one. I hear you. Not the two. I hear a you. A six seed. But I will say this. Last year at this time, as opposed to this year at this time, the West is even tougher, right? The Suns didn't go make that trade for Kevin Durant and Bradley Peel like they did at the trade deadline last year. I know they finished it with that team, but it wasn't. You didn't have a full season starting with Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. Um, the West is I mean, OKC. We thought they were going to be dangerous just watching them last year because they're young and talented. They didn't have Chet Holgram. He makes them completely better this year. That's why they're that good. You could see Minnesota being dangerous. And remember, they got Rudy Gobert middle of the year. They start the season. Now they're good. Those four teams that are one, three, and four, one through four, they're solid teams. Like they're legit good. And then you look at the four other teams that I think that are stacked around the Pels. And I mean, my goodness. I mean, the Suns, they smoke them. The, I mean, the Clippers, healthy. Those are three Hall of Famers. Dude, the West is hard. Like, I, it is. I, I hear you, and you're right when you say, dude, you're six. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but they're just saying that you're three games from four, and, you know, you're, you've actually been able to beat those teams above yeah. you. So I, I think the seeding. Fire you. Is what it is. Just get out of the play-in, man. That's, yeah. that's kind of where we are right now. Six games away from being at the top, but only seven and a half games away from being out. That's where they sit <laughs> right. right now. I know. That's Kevin Gill. I know. In New Orleans. Great stuff as always, buddy. We always appreciate all the great insights. Have yourself a great weekend, my friend. For sure. And I'm going to go try to find out why you can't dunk. I'll get back to you on that. Thank you, bud. <laughs> He's a pastor who likes the passing game, an attorney who enjoys play action more than class action. And he loves to watch Chiefs game tape for hours and hours and hours. He's Seth Kaiser of The Athletic on the program. 
Certainly better late than never when it comes to talking to our next guest here on the program here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sorrent Petro with you as we continue to break down the uh, Super Bowl and the uh, Chiefs winning their back-to-back championships third in four years. Usually comes to you on a Wednesday. Uh, today, we talked to Seth Kaiser here on a Friday. Seth, th- uh, thanks so much for the time. We uh, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, and, uh, you know, how about that game? What's your overall impression from uh, the, the Chiefs winning Super Bowl 58? Sure. It's it's really good to talk to you as well, my friend. Um, you know, there there were so many really big takeaways from the game. And the, the ultimate one that I, you know, everyone's already talked about quite a bit. I wouldn't say ad nauseum because I don't think you can ever talk about this ad nauseum is the confirmation that the Chiefs are, are currently a dynasty. We are in the middle of an actual dynasty. You get to use that word as many times as you want for the entire off season because those are the rules when you are a dynasty. And that's the, the, the first and foremost thing. And one of the things I wrote about right out of the gate was the fact that what we've watched these last five years is one of the most successful, if not the most successful five-year stretches in the history of any franchise ever in the entire NFL. And that, that confirmation that what we're seeing is historic is, is the, the number one takeaway in terms of it really is a confirmation of everything that we've thought was happening, seeing it unfold in real time. Is, is by far the biggest takeaway. The, the guys that are involved in this, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, Steve Spagnuolo, like that, that's what I would call the core for it. Those are names that should be remembered in NFL lore the same way you're going to have, you know, Walsh and Montana and Rice, right? You know, the, the, the steel curtain, all of these things. This Chiefs team is right up there with any other in history. Yeah, no doubt. And it is a historic run. And do you get a sense, real quick, let's just look over the horizon, since you use this term here, are we in the middle of it? Or are we in the end of it? Uh, you know, <laughs> you got a sense for it's a young quarterback. That certainly makes you feel good. Tom Brady was young when he got his first three. There was a bit of a gap, but they were still yep. championship caliber for a decade, lost two Super Bowls, and then would win three more at the end, play and four more at the end. Uh, what do you right. get a sense we're smack dab in the middle of this thing? I, it's hard not to, to be perfectly honest, especially when the way that it's gone down is the the idea that that you know last year was supposed to be kind of a retooling or resetting year, and then this year was an actual down year. And I know that's made a lot of fodder for you know trash talk and that sort of stuff, but it's also true, like in terms of different contracts and dead cap space, which is something people don't talk about enough. There were some dead cap hits, which is, you know, of course, when a player's no longer on the roster because he wasn't maybe performing or whatever, but he still costs you, you know, $4 million against the cap or whatever, right? And affects your ability to make moves. That was still something that was happening as of this year and last year, whereas moving forward, they're mostly clear from, from rough contracts, depending on what you think of Juwan Taylor, because that's well, we could go into that at a different point. They, 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 this is supposed to be kind of the lull, and what they've built instead is a really young defense that's full of really good players. Um, they, they've got the, the pieces in place to continue moving, and so it's hard not to believe that you might not be in the middle of it, but that's a dangerous way to think, and I really like the Patriots comparison that, that you make there because, you know, Brady won three in five years, 
similar to what the Chiefs just did. They were back-to-back. And then they went 10 years without winning another one. And so, I mean, it's hard. It's incredibly hard. And rosters kind of come and go. I do think that this iteration of the Chiefs has the ability to continue. And you can hear that in, in, you know, Mahomes and Kelsey. Basically, by the time as the confetti's falling, they're saying, I want three. I want three in a row. They want to do something that no one else has ever done. And so I, I think we might still be in the middle of something as opposed to the, the end of it. Yeah, I think that's an interesting perspective. We're talking right now to Seth Kaiser. The 49ers fired Steve Wilkes. I know in your uh, column that you wrote, uh, you know, say it with me, the Chiefs are a dynasty. You detailed the corn dog motion um, on one of the plays you took a look at. And people don't remember, that's what got Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore's uh, touchdowns uh, in Super Bowl 57 against the Eagles. That motion was there, and I think most people by now have heard we've played it, Andy Reid uh, with Peter King, talking about how that was supposed to be the window dressing, draw people outside to make sure that they didn't, you know, give up the same touchdown, and then they would shovel pass it on the inside, and instead the Niners took away the shovel pass but forgot to cover the corn dog. How, you know, Steve Wilkes got fired, and I'm wondering if it's from that play because it certainly wasn't the overall performance of his defense throughout the regular season. They did slip in the postseason. Maybe there's a personality conflict, but how astonishing is it that that same play worked again in, again, a critical time? One of my favorite things about Andy Reid is that he runs identical or similar concepts dressed up differently, and that's why they keep working. Um, it's not an accident that 20 plus years into his career as a head coach and play caller, he is still getting stuff done because there's really the bones of his offense are still mostly similar. I mean, obviously he's adapted from kind of the pure West coast stuff, but he, he dresses things up so differently. One of my favorite articles that I ever wrote was writing about a certain concept. And of course the name is just escaping me off the top of oh, leak. It was, it was just a leak concept down the field that got Sammy Watkins wide open a couple times, got Tyreek Hill open once. Um, you know, leak is where you just drift across the field and then go up the field once you hit the sideline to basically, right? And it was dressed up completely different every time, different formations, different personnel, different alignment, just everything. And that's one thing that makes him so great. And so to me, blaming Wilkes for that, I, to me, like you kind of mentioned, like a personality conflict. I think that, um, you know, the Niners defense after a full season of not changing things up that much and maybe some legitimate complaints about how they did things in the playoffs. I think they really stepped up in the Super Bowl. They showed a bunch yeah. of different looks that they hadn't showed previously. I thought Wilkes did a good job there. He had his guys so ready for the pass rush. You saw how disciplined as a pass rusher, at least. Nick Bosa in particular was to not let Mahomes escape around the edge. Now, could they have, you know, done a little better in terms of not biting really hard on interior play action as a pursuit defender? Yes. But there are certain things that, you know, people are blaming Wilkes for the fact that they weren't ready for, you know, essentially a read option type look when the Chiefs hadn't run it all year. You, you can't prepare guys for literally every scenario. I personally think that's a little bit of a sacrificial lamb situation there where, you know, they, they just lost. 
and well, you got to do something. I mean, maybe, but there's a difference between being busy and being productive. So I, I, that felt to me more like a scapegoat. Yeah, I, I think it's it's clear. Uh, Kyle Shanahan was so frustrated with his mistake in uh, in taking the ball in overtime that that he fired Steve Wilkes for it. I thought thought that was you know uh, great that uh, he could take his own frustrations on his own mistakes and then <laughs> fire someone else. Well done, uh, Shanahan. Uh, listen, did this again prove like you know? We know that the personnel wasn't as good. We'll see what they can get done in the offseason on the offensive side of the ball. But, like, when you break that down the way you did, Andy Reid ain't slipping. He, he may be about to turn 66, but he's still an offensive genius. Is that fair to say? I think it is. Um, and, and you saw you saw in the, in the Super Bowl how they, and it took a while, and thank goodness for Steve Spagnuolo, one of the greatest defensive coordinators to ever do it, um, they kept them in the game while the Chiefs offense kind of figured it out, right? And that really has been the big thing. And that's a term that people use that's kind of like, well, what does that even mean? But with the Chiefs, it's always, well, no, they'll figure it out in big games. Eventually, they kind of find a crack in the armor. And we saw that last year in the Super Bowl as well. People forget, you know, the Chiefs came out and scored a touchdown early. And so people like, you know, I think they, they remember in their heads that the Chiefs offense was dominate the whole game. They were not. They were dominant in the second half. But that's because they, they just took a little while, just kept trying out different things, started finding a few chinks in the armor, and just started hammering it. And that's something Reed does really well, especially in these big games. You find that little crack, and then you just start pounding away. And that's that was a similar thing here, where they started to find a few holes in what the Niners were doing with some of their zone looks. They started to find, you know, they, they started to really anticipate some of the blitzes. Mahomes did a great job with that. So I don't see any slippage from Andy. Um, a lot of the complaints this year about Andy, if receivers are catching the ball or getting to their spots, or Mahomes in a couple games plays better, like when he's got the flu or against the Raiders where he clearly didn't trust anyone at that point. You could see it had gotten to his head. Those aren't necessarily coaching issues. And so, you know, those are things that need to be fixed, and that's the coach's job. But it's not like a scheme issue, right? So I really don't see a drop-off there. Like you said, they need more weapons. Um, But one of the biggest things for me was seeing what Travis Kelsey looked like in the playoffs after taking a week off. Because there's all that talk, right, about how he'd slow down or whatever. I'm really curious what he looks like next year because I'm curious how much of this was the fact that he got hurt like a day or two before the season started and then had to play a heavy snap load for weeks and weeks and weeks and never got fully right until the season was basically closing up. Seth Kaiser's with us here in the program. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. One more segment with Seth on a Friday. That's right. It's our gift to you. Seth Kaiser on a Friday, getting you ready for the weekend, breaking down the Super Bowl, his chief in the North newsletter, a must Read if you're a Chiefs fan. Seth brought to you by our friends at the University of Kansas Health System. If you have an orthopedic injury, uh, whether it happened in everyday life or playing sports, the University of Kansas Health System can see you quickly. You can walk right in at 435 and all. Orthopedic care is available without an appointment, 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday. Saturdays, it's 8 to 2. Learn more at kansashealthsystem.com slash orthopedics. More with Seth Kaiser next here in the program. Welcome back here on the program here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. We're breaking down the film with Seth Kaiser, his chief of the North newsletter. Absolutely a must-read for you if you are a, a Chiefs fan. Got all kinds of great breakdowns. He's brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System official 
health care provider of your Kansas City Chiefs. If you're playing sports, there's nothing more important than playing your best. When a sports injury slows you down, see the experts who care for the Chiefs uh, and the Royals. Uh, the University of Kansas Health System. I'll request an appointment right now at kansashealthsystem.com slash sportsmedicine. Uh, Seth, how about Chris Jones? I know you wrote a, a great piece detailing him. I thought in the first half he was kind of a no-show. Now, maybe I'm not giving enough credit for the Niners, but, man, he was there coming down the stretch uh, in the second half. What did you think of his play uh, in this game, and what do you think of him moving forward? Let's start with this game. What did you think of that? Sure. Well, I think one thing I'll, I'll, I'll use is the word timely. And so certain plays were made at just the exact right time that don't quite get remembered as much because, you know, it's not a third down pressure or sack or something like that. But one thing to go back to, so you, you had Isaiah Pacheco's fumble early in the second quarter. It was right after the first thing that had gone right for the Chiefs on offense all all day, right? And then suddenly, of course, we're back to disaster season. It's worth noting that the, on the second play of the Niners drive, they're second and nine. They've been running the ball really well for the most part. And they get stuck with backside pursuit by Jones, who just dominates his block on that end, sets up third and nine, and then he assists in pressure on the next on the next down to help force a punt. Things like that, they don't show up in the box score like because you see a tackle, right? But you don't see the timing of it. You don't see the fact that second and third down both got stopped in large part because of some of the work he did. Some of the pressure he did got Bert Purdy to bail out of the pocket the next drive. And he ends up getting sacked, I think, by Karloftis and, and Justin Reed. So even in the first half, which was kind of quiet, it wasn't that he wasn't contributing. It's just that he was contributing in ways that don't necessarily flash as much. And that, you know, for me, it's kind of funny because I've spent, you know, the last eight years, really, um, writing about what Jones does that people notice, but more importantly, what he does that people don't. And in the second half, it was a lot of that same stuff, you know, uh, you know, a pressure that forces a quarterback to bail out or forces him to drop his eyes and move, uh, you know, just little things like that. Um, those things happened time after time. And just because they didn't show up on the box where they were still a huge part of what, of wh- why the defense was able to hold the Niners snap after snap. And then of course, you know, it, it had to be this way, right? And it's funny that it happened because he was unblocked. That, that final third down in overtime, where the Niners' right. perfection just failed them completely. Um, what, what, do you, right what do you arc. think? Let, let's zero in on that. So, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but I know you have the, you have the gift of that up on the Chief of the Northern Newsletter. What do you think went wrong there? Right? Like, do you, to me, it looks like they were sliding the protection left, and the right tackle didn't get the message. It, it's something similar to that. I think the I think the right guard chose to. You have the slide. And the right tackle, like you said, didn't seem to get the message because he ends up blocking basically nothing, right? Troy could have taken Jones. But I think because of the way the Chiefs were aligned, if you look, there was a defensive end outside of the right tackle, and Kittle was running a route. So I'm assuming the right tackle was on Karloftis. And so what that means is the right guard is put in a really tough spot there where maybe they've called a slide, but he's got to figure out whether to pick up the blitzer who's Justin Reed or Chris Jones. Now, the general rule is you take the closest guy. But for some reason, he took the, the slightly more inside guy. Maybe he was following that rule. And you could tell it's so funny because Justin Reed is shocked that the guard chooses to block him. Like, he, like, stops moving because he's so surprised that the guard chose him and not Jones. And that's where Jones, to his credit, 
And he must have been surprised that literally no one blocked him, but he just didn't take time to think about it, sprints ahead. And it's so funny to me that, like, you know, the, the, the most crucial play of the game he makes, it's not, like, even, like, his 10th best pass rush of the day, which I think is really funny. But I also think it's such a, such a fitting image if that's the last time we see Chris Jones as a chief. Yeah, it's I think. It's a fitting image, you know? Yeah, it is. And I, and I think it's a couple of things. One, I think you're right. I think Justin Reed goes, whoa, is this a screen? Hang on, what's going on here? Because they're just letting my guy Jones blow right through. I got to be ready. Are they, they going to screen this thing? Um, he's not really sure what to do. I think that's a great point by you. And then, you know, uh, let's give some love to Steve Spagnuolo. I mean, he gave a yep. front that clearly confused uh, the 49ers, whether it was, hey, I know this is the call, but I can't do that because there's too many people over here. We've, we've made the wrong call to slide left. We need to be over here, so I've got to stay home. Whatever it was, they weren't able to execute, and I, and I think it's unfair to just say the Niners blew it. Steve Spagnuolo has yep. been throwing confusing fronts at people all year. When the other team screws up their protection, he had a lot to do it, whether it's the volume of stuff he makes you prepare for, that you're not mm-hmm. really prepared for any of it that well because you've had to prepare for so many things, or you just get lost in the moment, or it's something completely new. But I think it's completely unfair when nationally the narrative is, well, can you believe it? They forgot to block Chris Jones. Yeah, that's right. it's not that simple. It's not that simple at all, and it's a testament. I, I'm so glad you said that to Spags because it's worth noting on the two most crucial downs of the game, and, of course, there's an entire game to be played. And then we always got to acknowledge that, that those downs wouldn't be as important if certain things had gone differently on other downs. That's how this game works. But on the two biggest downs of the, of the game, Spags was able to get completely free rushers at Brock Purdy against Kyle Shanahan's looks. Because, I mean, that's at the end of regulation, Trent McDuffie coming screaming in on a blitz, completely unblocked. That play was ruined by what he, by what Spags dialed up and how well McDuffie executed it. Um, who, by the way, I'm writing about him in speed right now. McDuffie was unbelievable, but that's a side note. Um, with Spags, he really does deserve all the credit he can possibly get and more. Um, his, the job that he's done against multiple terrific offenses this postseason alone. It, it's just an unbelievable job that he's done. I'm so glad they've got him locked up. Now, obviously, if he gets offered a head coaching job, he's allowed to go, regardless of a contract extension. But that's one reason, one thing that I think should change now, and maybe should have changed before, and that's on me and maybe all of us for not saying it enough. When we talk about the core group for this dynasty, it's always been, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Chris Jones. Maybe Tyree Hill, depending on what you think there. I think now that they've won two without him, I just don't know you can call him a core guy. But Spags deserves to be on that list, too, because he's just as much a part of it as the rest of them. Yeah, I think I think it's it's Mahomes, Reid, uh, Veach, Spags, Kelsey, Jones. Like, that's the crew. Like you got to get Veach in there, and you got to get Spags, oh, yeah. because we know – that and I know you would put him in there as well. I'm not saying, oh, you you missed a guy, um, <laughs> but but you know, Spags does have to be there to your point because we know Andy Reid kind of is like, hey, he gives his defensive coordinator the job and says, go do it. And yep. you know, I don't know how much he sits in on defensive meetings or when they have their all coaching meetings. Does he say, listen, here's what I've seen, A, B, C, D? Who knows? But we know on game day, it's Spags on the mic calling the plays, right? And yep. so he is a vital cog and has been a vital cog and he's proven that he can play good defense with okay personnel 
and you can win with a great offense. And then when your offense, you're having to move things around and you're not as good, but you give him great young talent, uh, he can win and give you a great defense as well. So just as Andy Reid has won a different way, so is Steve Spagnuolo now. He was required to be great on his side of the ball. Not just good, not just get a couple of stops, to be great. And they were. Yep. And that speaks to him as maybe one of the greatest defensive coordinators of all time, would we say? Oh, absolutely. I, he's got to be on that list when you look at what he's done. You know, someone might point to like, you know, last year's Super Bowl, the Eagles put up a ton of points, but that wasn't because of a flaw in the game plan. That was just some incredible plays got made, and that's how the modern NFL works. But if you look at not just the Super Bowls, but I mean, well, if you look at these two Super Bowls against the Niners, the, the comebacks don't happen without Spag's defense either time. And it's worth noting they did not have as talented a defense in 19 as they did this year. Right. And that you, you don't get these comebacks if you're down 21-3 instead of 10-3, right? And it, it's not just you, you got to get to the Super Bowl. Last year they had Mahomes on one leg who played as well as you can expect a human being to play with one leg, actually better, but they still managed to hold two very good offenses to 20 points each to get to the Super Bowl. This year the game, the, the, the Super Bowl doesn't even happen unless Spags dominates the Ravens offense and he did um it, it just doesn't happen and you know the Bills they played a, they played a good game a really efficient game but Spags also forced them out of their passing game kept them out of big plays and then at the end of the game was able to get the stops that was needed get some free rushers they dominated the Dolphins all these things that he's done it deserves so much credit and to your point of winning different ways it's not just about you know good defense versus great defense and all that stuff he's also formulated his defense differently in different years. This year, they have the best secondary in the NFL. And that includes, even after, which is hilarious, because Brian Cook, who might have been playing the best of all their safeties, got hurt. And they still had the best secondary in the NFL. He coached it up phenomenally, but he built his defense this year from the back to the front instead of front to back like he had in previous years. Obviously, the pass rush and everything is still based around a superstar like Chris Jones. But he also realized, kind of almost in the middle of this year, but a little bit at the beginning, too, you saw it with Snead. Hey, I have two elite corners and two other corners that I really trust and a really good safety group. And then you just saw everything open up, including, and that's what I'm writing about right now, against the Niners, game plans that you could draw up based around your elite secondary. So he's done it two different ways in terms of, the basis, the foundation of his defense, and that's so impressive. Time for our final four with Seth Kaiser. It's brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System. Again, if you're suffering an orthopedic injury in everyday life or playing sports, the University of Kansas Health System offers orthopedic walk-in care. They're 435 and all in Overland Park, weekdays 8 to 7, Saturdays 8 to 2. Learn more at kansashealthsystem.com slash orthopedics. I'll start you with this, Seth. Is LeJarius Sneed back with the Chiefs next year, yes or no? Yes. Yes, all right. How many Super Bowls for Patrick Mahomes in his career? Wins when it's all said and done. I, you know what? I'm I'm feeling really good. I'm going to say eight. Eight. All right. Very good. Uh, is Chris Jones back with the Chiefs next year? I I I think so. I really do. Okay. I don't think so. And finally, how many Super Bowls total for Andy Reid when he's done? I'm going to go with 
five. Five. So he's there for two more, and then Patrick Mahomes carries uh, another coach for three more. I like it. Uh, Seth, you're the man. Great stuff all year. We love breaking down the Chiefs with you. We encourage everybody to check out the Chief in the North newsletter, and we look forward to it. We'll probably find a reason to talk to you a couple times during the offseason, but can't wait till we dive back in weekly next year, my friend. Hey, me neither. Thanks so much for having me this year. It's been a lot of fun. All right, two quarterbacks have a career passer rating of at least 120 in Super Bowl play. I asked for either one. Brought to you by Joe's Kansas City Barbecue.